Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing today? Can you feel God's presence in the house today? Think about this. God is here for you. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. It's for me. Uh, Before we get rolling, a couple things that I totally spaced in the first service. Hopefully, they'll forgive me. Um, We had our prayer furnace extreme last weekend, and you guys knocked it out of the park. So we had over 140 people pray for in 24-hour time slots for what's going on. That's just incredible. Again, prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. We've got a lot of stuff happening, guys. None of it means anything if we don't pray. So thank you for your prayer support. Uh, also, thank you for your financial support for Easter. Uh, we are almost to our, uh, to our goal. If you haven't given, pray and give. Our goal is everything that we do here for our community is totally free. So uh, we're going to keep that up. Um, so I'm excited. Today we're finishing up our series called Rooted. Uh, we've been talking about foundational pieces of our faith. Now I got to tell you, today is going to be a little, little different. So it makes some of you uncomfortable. How many of you know that God is not concerned with your comfort? He's concerned with your heart, which means that he may mess with some of your comfortableness. Today is not like, you know, you know, every once in a while you just need one of those big donuts with the stuff on the outside, on the top of it and you eat it. You know, it's bad, but does that keep you from eating the donut? You know, you're going to feel terrible later, but do you still eat the donut? Exactly. This is not a donut today. Today is a meat and potatoes day. And this is what's going to happen today, guys. As we move to being a more mature church, um, I think today God's going to do two things. For some of us today, he's going to set you free from some of the things that you've been wrestling with. And for others, as a church, God's going to help us to understand better what it means to love our neighbors better and to truly be a house of restoration. So I need you to listen, focus, and we're going to have fun today, but we're going to grow. We're going to go a little bit deeper. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was, it was a Friday, and I got a call from somebody. It was like this. It was like, Pastor, we need to meet with you right now. How many of you know that's never a good call? <laughs> never in the history of all pastordom has anybody ever said, Pastor, I got to meet you right now because I have a pizza for you. <laughs> that would be great, but that never happens. So I met with this family. I pulled up to the church, and I still remember today. It was the mom and the dad. They had a ninth, a ninth grader son, and his girlfriend this was an eighth grader. And they were standing there. I could tell the dad was upset. You know, dads, we don't do good at hiding our emotions, do we? If we're upset with you, we just, we scowl. Moms can hide it, but they're much more deadlier than we are. <laughs> right? You know, my mom was a pincer. Does anybody have any pinchers? My mom could pinch you, and if you reacted, then the beating was even more severe. And I earned it. I deserved it all. I remember we sat in my office, and, um, and the, the dad was very upset. He goes, well, he said, are you going to tell him, son? I still remember the kid looked up at me, and he looked down at the ground. He goes, well, he said, uh, me and, and my girlfriend, we, um, we made a mistake, and, and she's pregnant. And, I, and the, the girl began to sob. And the kid just kept looking at the ground. And the dad was just shaking his head and he was angry. He says, and I don't know what to do with this now. What are we going to do with this? Did you think about how this is going to affect everybody? And he starts yelling at his kid. And the mom is just distraught. She's just looking off. She's numb. I can tell she's numb. I listen to the young man as he's crying and he's sobbing and his, his girlfriend is sobbing. And I listen to everybody kind of talking over and over and over. And then finally the dad says, well, pastor, what are we going to do about this? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I said, you know what we're going to do? I said, we're going to continue to love all of you, and we're going to love the heck out of this little baby. And I remember the kid looked at me with tears in his eyes. He says, you're not, you're not going to throw us out? I said, no. This is not the time to throw you out. This is the time to bring you close. I said, the Jesus that I serve doesn't do that. He brings people close. And I remember they stood up and both him and his girlfriend just kind of fell into my big Greek shoulders and they started to cry and I just held them as they shook and I just held them. And the dad still didn't know what to do and mom was still kind of aloof and it was, it was a heavy day. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you made a mistake? So this is a crazy thing. So we pray and, and, and I say, we're going to love this baby. And by the way, you know, we stayed with them. They ended up getting married. They had two other more beautiful children. 
And there's a celebration of all the stuff. But that wasn't the crazy thing. So Sunday, I show up. I'm getting ready to preach. And in the front row, there are 14 people wearing the same color shirt. They're all wearing orange shirts. How many of you know that that's not normal? <laughs> I don't know these people. I'm thinking, what is going on? Are these people going to jump me? What is happening here? Was there a race that I didn't know about that I'm not going to participate in? And, you know, they, 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 they look pretty rough. So we got done with the service, and the, the leader of their pack, this guy came up to me. He goes, hey, he goes, pastor, man. He goes, you don't know me from anybody. I said, this is correct. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> and he said that we are this young girl's, because I'm this young girl's father. He said, um, and she told us how you responded to them in your office on Friday night. He said, now, he goes, pastor, he's looked at me, he goes, he says, I am not a good man. He said, but when she told us the story of how this church reacted to her and how you're going to love her, he said, we had to come and see this for ourselves to see if a church could really do this and be this. And I just hugged him and I said, brother, I said, welcome home. Now, this is the craziest thing. All 14 of them never left. They ended up giving their hearts to Christ. It changed their entire family line. How we loved. How we choose to love. You know what didn't change them? Our squeaky clean theology. You know what didn't change them? Our ethical standards. And understand, brothers and sisters, all that's important. But all of that comes from the same foundational source. Love. What a beautiful picture. So as a church, you can tell how mature you are as a believer and you can tell how mature you are as a church by how you and I navigate those that have failed. What do we do with people that have failed? Now, classically, when the church is concerned, you know, as far as they're concerned, we are great with loving people B.C. It doesn't matter what you've done before Christ. We're great with that, man, because we love a great story. We love a great testimony. But you know where we stink sometimes? What do you do with people in the church that have failed after their conversion with Jesus? By the way, please put your hand up in this room if you have not sinned since you've given your heart to Christ. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us struggle with things. Our challenge is this. Sometimes we put levels to our things. Things that can be forgiven and things that can't be. So here's the question today, and this is a big step for us to grow. How do we carry the heart of God and bring restoration to those that have struggled, those that have fallen? Not only do, you know, as a church, how do we do that for others, but how do you and I receive that for ourselves? Because how many of you know this? You can't help anybody else until God deals with the stuff inside of your heart. How do we do this? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're just going to kind of read through this passage today. You guys know I teach expositorily anyway, but this is going to be a little different. So I want to promise you this today. Some of you are here today, and you've been stuck in certain things because you've not been able to get past your own failures. God this morning will set you free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. His heart for you is freedom. And his heart for this church is restoration for the fallen, for the broken. Galatians 6.1 reads like this. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who's overtaken with a fault, the one who is in the spirit should seek to, resolve, to restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But keep watch over your own hearts that you won't be tempted to exalt yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you're somebody too important to stoop down to help another, when really you're not, you're living in deception. So what do we learn from this passage? What do we need from this passage to help us to be a house of restoration, to help to lift people up when they fail? First is this, you need to have the right focus. As a church and as believers, you need to be looking at the right thing. That phrase, if you see, is pretty important when it comes to understanding what practical grace and restoration looks like in our churches, in us. Now, there is a difference in encountering a fault in somebody 
and then looking for faults in somebody. Did you hear me? There's a chance and, you know, there's a, a difference in when we discover it. We're walking together and I discover, hey, you know, you're kind of veering. Let me help you with that. There's a difference in seeing somebody that way and then looking for trouble, looking for brokenness in other people's lives. You know that if you look for brokenness, always you'll find brokenness. How many of you are optimists here in this room? It doesn't matter if the sky is falling, it's still going to be fine. I'm a fine person. Dad, the wheels fell off the car. It's going to be fine. Dad, there's fire pouring from the sky. It's going to be fine. Dad, I don't think we're going to make it. It's going to be fine. I see the positiveness in every situation. Now, how many of you are pessimists? Pessimism is not a spiritual gift. It's not. Look how blue the sky is today. It's a little too blue for my eyes. You know, my taken. Isn't this Sunday great? Mmm, looks fattening. We know it's fattening. We're going to eat it anyway. Here's the point. We find what we're looking for. If you always look for brokenness, you'll find it. Beloved, if you always look to be offended, you'll be offended. Believers, stop being offended about everything. Stop it. Forgiveness, let it flow. Stop being offended. You know what the enemy does? The enemy loves to take our offenses, and he takes our offenses, and he uses it to divide us. Don't play into his schemes. How you see is very important. Now, for some of you, that's, why, that's the reason you're stuck today. You cannot move beyond your own brokenness. You can't see yourself beyond your own brokenness. You are hyper-focused on all the ways that you stink. That's not the heart of God for you. It's not. You're hyper-focused on all the reasons why God can never use you. So you stay ineffective in your pitiful state doing nothing for God. God created you to be extraordinary. He created you to change the world in spite of your brokenness. The Bible says this, when you're weak, he is strong. Your weakness gives God an opportunity to, to display his power in ways that you and I could never experience when we try to do it all by ourselves. But we get hyper-focused. Have you ever been hyper-focused on something? So hyper-focused that it ended up being bad for you? I remember it was like junior high, probably seventh grade. I don't know if you know this or not, but us Greek people, we have this weird physical feature. Most of us do, not everybody, but most of us do. We call it the unibrow. Have you, do you know what the unibrow is? Some of you, 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 you people, you know, if you got your Irish, you have two eyebrows. Irish, you know, you, you, you very, you know, white people. You have that thing. You know what we have? Us Mediterraneans, we have, we have a unibrow. We don't have eyebrows. We have an eyes brow. So I'm in junior high, and I'm trying to look good. I'm trying to pray to God every night, Lord, please don't let the pimple grow right at the edge of my nose. You know, and I was up there tweaking my eyebrows. I had my razor, I was shaving. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take care of this eyebrow. I'm going to be like normal looking people. And I went to, to just clean it up just a little bit. And I went off center. And I took a little bit too much of the right eyebrow. So I thought to myself, don't, don't panic, I'm an optimist. I can fix this. I just need to trim a little bit of the left eyebrow. Oh, too much. <laughs> After 20 minutes in the bathroom with a razor in my hand, my parents didn't have enough wisdom to slap the razor out of my hand, I discovered as I looked in the mirror, I had no more eyebrows. <laughs> it was terrible. So I thought to myself, well, it may be noticeable to me, but it's probably not noticeable to anybody else. So I walked into the kitchen where my mom and dad were there. My dad was like the fountain of encouragement. I walked out there, and my dad looked at me and goes, what happened to your head? He goes, where are your eyebrows? I went, I don't know. And my mom, being the helpful person that she was, she goes, I can draw those back on. I go, no, you're not drawing eyebrows on my face. Do you know how long it takes for eyebrows to grow back on your face? 
for a junior high kid, this might as well be 22 years. I'd pray at night, oh God, let them grow a little bit more, please. Sometimes we get hyper-focused on things, and it turns out worse. We do this with brokenness. We do this with failure. Nobody knows your failures better than you. Nobody knows the cracks in your foundation better than you. So what do you do? What do we do first? I mean, if we don't fix this in us, you cannot hand this off to anybody else. So how do you and I first of deal with brokenness and failure inside of us? How can you and I move past, you know, stop running around these mountains. How can we move past this stuff and experience restoration for ourselves? All we need to be able to do that, we find in the word. 1 John 1.8 is a blueprint for us that shows us how we as believers navigate our failures and our brokenness and our sins. We will sin again. We have this big word in Christian world. It's called sanctification. That simply means this, us becoming like Jesus. That process will continue for us here on the planet until you die. You'll be fully sanctified. You'll be fully like him the day you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven. But until that day, you're going to struggle. So how do we deal with these things? 1 John 1.8 tells us, it says this, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now that word all in the Greek is panta, which means this. This is nuts. You know what it means? All. Not just the small ones, but all. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it falls under his glory. As you confess and as you come to him, the blood of Jesus is enough to cover all of your sins. Whether you did it the first time, the second time, the 90th time, it doesn't matter. What matters is this, you keep coming to Jesus till he fixes it, till he lifts it. If you could do it on your own, he wouldn't have to come. But we can't. So we need him. He says this, if we claim that we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Have you ever thought about this? When you don't come to God in confession and you don't allow him to forgive you, you know what you're saying? God, your word, what you said has no place in me. It's a strong statement, isn't it? It's the truth. It's the truth of God's word. So if you're here today, and you're struggling to forgive yourself because of something you've done. Know this. You're not so far away that God can't hear you. You're not so far away that God can't reach you. You're not so far away that God can't take your life and do something beautiful with it if you trust him. Talk to him. Give it to him. Do me a favor, just shut your eyes for a second. Think of that thing that always makes you feel lesser. Get it right in the center of your head. And now just give it to him. Say, God, please forgive me. The Bible tells us this, when you give him those things, he takes our sins and he moves them as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember it anymore. You don't remember it anymore. Let it go. Okay, open your eyes. How you see yourself when it comes to failure is important. Why? Because God calls us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, some of you are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You come in today and you say, Pastor, you know, I know you ain't talking to me because I got all my ducks in a row. I'm fine. I know you're talking to the dirty sinner people, which I'm on the other side of the equation. So you may not be hyper-focused on your own brokenness, but you may have the spiritual gift of being hyper-focused on other people's brokenness. How many of you know it's a whole lot easier to see where other people stink than we do ourselves? Right? I can tell you all the reasons why you stink, but me seeing my own stuff, it's kind of stuff, you know, it's kind of tough. I mean, we can spot failure in other people like a mile away, right? And we turn into this, this thing. 
especially in the church. I remember for us in grade school. How many of you had grade schools where you had crossing guards? Now, we had, like our, our crossing guards, we didn't pay nobody. We didn't have any money to pay people. So they would elevate kids in the class. If you were good and they liked you, you could be a crossing guard someday. So they, did you have schools like that? They gave you the big sash banner and they gave you the badge. You know, and, and, you, know, and you, were, you were the crossing guy, man. That's what you did, man. You were on, and that, you had power. You know, I grew up with Billy, and everything was fine. I knew Billy for years. You gave him that badge and that banner. You stop now. I'm like, what, what are you talking about, Billy? You know, people, power gets to their head, even in the fifth grade. They go crazy, right? Stop. You can't do that. You can't cross her. I'm like, Billy, you and I have been crossing here for 10 years. Doesn't matter now. I got the badge, baby. I'm better than you. We have to be careful, beloved, especially when it comes to seeing the brokenness in other people. So if you have the spiritual gift of finding all the brokenness in other people, if you have the spiritual gift of leading them the right way by, by revealing their failures and their brokenness, you know, and you have this way of articulating all these ways that they miss the mark with God, I have two words that I'd love to tell you today. Here's the two words. Stop it. Exactly. Stop it. Do you know that we have people that are terrified to come into this room because they're expecting everybody in this room to tell them all the ways that they don't belong? They're already afraid. They're already nervous. Do you think they don't know that they sin and they miss the mark? Do they need us to point out every commandment that they were unable to pull? I think back in the Old Testament, what did they, how, many, how many laws did they have that everybody had to live up to? I think 613. 613 laws to just get them to even. Now, thank God in the church today, we don't create laws and we don't put heavy burdens on people. Thank God all that stopped in the Old Testament, Right? Because Jesus, he made it very clear that we should not put heavy burdens on the people. Thank God we got his message loud and clear. Right? Think about it, beloved. Now, understand this. Please hear my heart. There's nothing wrong with speaking into the life of a fellow believer. There's nothing wrong with walking beside somebody that's veered and say, man, I love you enough. I think you're veering. Let's come back here together. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with helping each other with blind spots. Because here's the thing. I can see your sin way easier than I can see my sin because it's usually different. It's hard for me to see my stuff, but it's easy for me to see other people's stuff. There's a difference in helping people to come along, you know, coming along people to help them to, to walk toward the truth together. We speak not just the truth. We speak the truth in love. It's all rooted in love. Now, that's different than being hyper-focused on people's shortcomings. You can tell when we start to get hyper-focused on people's shortcomings. This is what happens in the church. In the church, we start to create levels. The super spiritual ones, the regular spiritual ones, and those that, well, if they start drinking milk and they start working out, maybe they'll get up to here someday. Every church does it. We just have different qualifying things. If you're in a church and you're all about the word, what gets you to this status is your understanding and your knowledge of the word. If you're in a church of the spirit, what gets you up here is your spiritual intergalactic nature that makes you better than them. Whatever the qualifier is, it's all the same. Beloved, we're one body, we're one family. We have to be careful. Sometimes what happens is this. As a church, when we take positions like that, we become hard. We become rigid and unpliable. And when you become hard and rigid and unpliable, what happens is this. You and I miss the heart of God for the moment. We always have to be tender and have an ear that's open to him. Now, Jesus talked about this. He talked about our interaction with people when they stumble. He said this in Matthew 7. He says, don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. 
Now, what's interesting about that is this. When you think of justice, what do you think of? Scales that are perfectly balanced, right? What does this passage tell you about judgment? How you judge affects the scales. Do you see it? There's a cool word for this that the Bible talks about. It's called sowing and reaping. How you treat and interact with each other messes with the scales. It does. Be careful how you judge. Let's keep going. It says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now notice in this passage, does, does Jesus say that you cannot help your brother with the speck in their eye? No. But he says this, make sure you're in the right position to do that first. Take yourself to God. Make sure that, that you're in a position to do that. We're going to look a little bit later and talk about what that log is usually in our eye that keeps us from things. Now, what's interesting is this. The Greek word for judging here is krino, which actually means to condemn without full understanding. It means to make a blanket judgment on somebody, an assumption, without knowing all the details. We get into trouble when we make assumptions and we place ourselves as judges over others. It's hard to... um, It's hard to love somebody. It's hard to be compassionate with people when you're above them. Compassion means this, to suffer with. You cannot suffer with others if you have placed yourself above them. You just can't do it. Um, Don't make assumptions. Assumptions get you into trouble. I remember I was in... um, I was in Illinois, and I was on my, uh, my motorcycle. And it was a beautiful, warm summer night. I was working late at the church. And I was riding. If you're on a bike, how many motorcycle people do we have here? I'm not talking like your Vespa. I'm not talking about your Huffy. I'm talking about a bike with an engine, right? So I'm zipping around, and, um, and I noticed the car behind me was tailgating me. Now, how many of you hate tailgaters? You don't want, don't tailgate me. If they tailgate you in a car and they bump your bumper, you know, you, you, they bump you, you exchange insurance information, and then you go on. If you're on a bike and somebody hits you in the back, you know what you do? You eat concrete. And, I, you know, Greeks, we eat a lot of stuff, but we don't like to eat concrete. So I'm riding around trying to speed up. The faster I go, the faster they go. I can't tell who's behind me. I just see the white, the, the, the lights in the back. I could just, I'm thinking, what is going on? These people are such jerks. They don't know they could kill me, and I'm zipping around. And finally, I'm getting so upset because they put me in mortal danger. We get to a red light. I put my bike in a kickstand, and I go in the back, and I see clearly in the window. And I look in the window, I see this. It's my family. They're in the red minivan that I can't see because it's dark out. And my wife is waving like this. The kids are like, hi, Dad. I go up to the car and go, what are you doing? She goes, we're following you. I said, I know that. I said, why are you following so close? She goes, well, you kept speeding away from us. We wanted you to know that we were there. I was getting ready to dance with my family. Come on. Don't make assumptions. We don't have the whole story sometimes. Sometimes we like to make judgments and assumptions from 3,000 feet. You can't do that. You get in close. We speak the truth to people, but we know that God is the ultimate judge, not us. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, and this is beautiful. Listen to this verse. It says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those that are idle and disruptive. You warn them. Hey, don't do that. Hey, you should be doing something. That's what a warning sounds like. It's not condemnation. It says this, encourage the disheartened. We don't push them away. We don't throw them away. Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Brothers and sisters, today's the day to put on your patience pants. Be patient with everybody. Because how many of you know that you need patience? I don't just need it to deal with you. I need patience so you can deal with me. I need, I need to be loaded with patience because I know how I am. And if you don't know about me, ask my children, and they'll fill you in. 
By the way, how can you tell as a believer if your corrections, you know, that spirit, the spiritual gift you have of correction, if that spiritual gift is void of compassion and it's not from the heart of God? This is how you can tell. Your inability to receive correction yourself. If you cannot receive correction from anybody, then you are coming from the wrong position. Because you look, well, they can't correct me. I'm not below them. No, you're right next to each other. Correction is necessary for all of us. It is. You can't be corrected. You've lost your way. Have people in your life that will tell you the truth. In love. Let's keep going. Look at the passage. It says this, my beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, now this is interesting. This word fault in the Greek is an interesting word. It's patatome, which actually means this, to trip or to lose your footing. So it's actually, it was a term that they would use in the military. So when the military people were, were, were going on a seizure or something like that, and they're getting ready to move, move in formation, and if, if they did not have the right footing, if they slipped and they fell out of formation, that's where they use this term. Oh, he, he slipped. How many of you have ever been to a band concert? Or, you, or I say the band like at a football game or something like that? Have you ever seen somebody fall out of formation in one of those things? It's hysterical. Because they can't stop. So it's like, ta-ta, 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 and the kid falls down, they just walk over, and ta-ta, 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 and they just keep going. Right, what can you do? You can't stop. You're like, hey, let me pick you up. Now, then a tuba comes and runs you over. You can't, you can't do that. That's what this means. Now, here's the reality of stumbling. All of us stumble. Willfully, sometimes we, we, we go astray, or sometimes we stumble accidentally. All of us, from time to time, disconnect from the heart of God. What have we been talking about the last couple of weeks? Remember that word abiding? That means to have a habitation with God. Your life source comes from Him. You're so close to Him. You're connected to Him. It's intimate. Anytime there's a fracture between you and God, if there's a pulling away, God doesn't move. It's us that moves, right? This is what that word means, to fall away. All of us struggle from time to time. Here's the danger of struggling for us as believers. Sometimes we drift, and we don't even realize that we've drifted. We've been lost. Have you ever found yourself lost? In a situation you don't want to be in? I remember a few years ago, we were, I was backpacking in Wisconsin in the wintertime. There's four of us. We're going to do a winter hike. You ever done a winter hike? It's like a regular hike, just it's colder. It's true. So we thought, you know, Chicago wasn't cold enough. Let's go to Wisconsin where it's colder. So we drove up. We had the minivan. I had the same red minivan Robin almost killed me in. And the goal was we were going to park in one area, start the hike, and then somebody's going to pick us up at the end of our hike and take us to our vehicle. So we pulled up there. It was pitch black. It was dark. And we were at the state park, and I pulled out on what I thought was the largest parking lot I'd ever seen. And as I'm driving into this dark unknown, one of my buddies behind me goes, dude, you have to stop. I stopped. I go, why? He goes, I think we're on the lake. And I was like, you mean like the water lake? And I remember looking in my rearview mirror, and way back behind me, I saw this sign that said, five horsepower or less. Have you ever seen one of those, those, those signs on the road? They ain't on the road. You know why? They're made for the water. So I, my buddy's sitting next to me, Brian, who's a military. I go, Brian, what do I do? He goes, don't go in the lake. How do I not go in the lake? We're on the lake right now. Can you give me something useful? He goes, well, he goes, just kind of back off on the same trail you can. We're not going to go on any, uh, just back up and let's see if we can get off the thing. So I'm backing up and I'm praying to Jesus. We're all praying to Jesus because if that thing goes in the water and I live, Robin's still going to kill me, right? And if I go in the water and, 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 I, and I make it out, you know, I, I could just die. I don't know it could be that. So we, we back off off the lake. They're very calm. They're like, TJ, you can do this. TJ, you can just keep backing up. You can do this. We get off to the lake. We, I, I open the door. We all kiss the ground. We're on the snowy ground, and we're just so happy to be on the ground again. You know what wouldn't have helped me if I'm on the lake? TJ, you're on the lake. Why are you on the lake? Only jerks are out on the lake. TJ, why are you out here? How did you get here? Do you know if you stay out here, you're going to die? Do you think any of that stuff would have helped me get back home? When you're on the lake, when you're lost, what do you need from us as, as a church? When you find yourself lost, you need somebody willing to bring you back home. Somebody to show you the way. Not tell you all the reasons why you deserve to be lost. 
If your God looks at you and does this, he's probably the wrong God. Does that sound like Jesus? When you read the word, the Jesus that you read on the pages of the gospels, does that sound like what Jesus did with anybody that was far from him? He showed them the way. Our posture as the church needs to bring people back home to show them a way. Now, Jesus spoke about this. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 1. He said this, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. Now, look at verse 2. This raised concerns among the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Now, thank goodness again, we in the church don't do this anymore. Thank goodness we are totally comfortable doing what Jesus did, which was what? Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. What comes before save? It's hard to seek the lost from your chair here at Trinity Community Church. There are no armchair seekers. When's the last time you went out on a good search for the lost? When's the last time you went to where they were? You sat with them. You cried with them. You walked with them. You talked with them. Pastor, if I do that, people may start talking about me. Well, then you'd be in good company. Beloved, you hear me say this all the time. What did Jesus tell Peter about the church? He said, upon this rock, the understanding of who Jesus was, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. The last I checked, gates are not mobile. They're stationary. That means this. We, the church, are supposed to be mobile. We go on the offensive. Next Saturday, there's going to be thousands here on our campus. You know what we're going to do? We're going to seek and save the lost. That's just what we're going to do. We're going to be supernatural. We're going to seek and save the lost. People will come home next Saturday because you're a seeker. You're going to go find them. God's going to draw you to people. And you're going to sit with them and you're going to pray with them and they're going to go from death to life over a dumb egg hunt because you're seeking them and you're loving them. Beloved, that's how this works. Look at the rest of the passage. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. It says, There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. The shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field, and he searched in the wilderness for the one lamb that was lost. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up, placed it on his shoulders, and carried it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called his friends and his neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me for the return of my lost lamb. And it, it wandered away, but I found it, and I brought it back home. Verse 7, Jesus continued, in the same way, there'll be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents. Come back home and returns to the fold, more so than for all the religious people who never have strayed away. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is the heart of God for us. And it shows us our posture. We seek. And we bring them in. Let's keep going through the passage. We're almost done. It says, the one who is in the spirit should seek to restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Now, what does it mean for us to be in the spirit? For us as believers, the spirit is our foundation. It's how we live. It's how we move. It's how we operate. Why did Paul say that the one that's in the spirit should be the one to restore this person that has gone astray? He said it because of this. Only the spirit can restore spiritual things. You cannot use human wisdom and intellect and human understanding to revive a spiritual issue, a spiritual matter. When it comes to restoration, our hearts need to be anchored in the spirit, not the flesh. When you're in the spirit, you're able to discern the heart of God. When you're not in the spirit, it's the flesh. 
human thinking and understanding. And the flesh can never revive the spirit. Beloved, have you ever thought about this in everything you do? You either operate from the heart of God or the heart of man. There's nothing in between. The heart of God or the heart of man. We know this. For us, transformation is a work of the Spirit. Restoration is also a work of the Spirit. Now, sometimes we, we, we try to fix spiritual issues with human tools. Have you ever tried to fix something with the wrong tool? I remember about a year and a half ago, I was swimming. I got out of the pool and my, my ear was clogged. Do you ever have a swimmer's ear? I thought, well, it'll go away. A couple days didn't go away. I bought the drops, you know, lay there for a little bit. Didn't go away. So then I had to go to, you know, plan B. I had to start digging. How many of you ever used a Q-tip? Do you know that Q-tips were never designed to go in your ears? I didn't know that. How many of you have ever used a Q-tip and you never put it in your ear? We all put Q-tips in our ears, don't we? So I kept digging and digging, and I just kept making the problem worse. Now, I'm a man, which means that i got to figure this out all by myself. After about two and a half weeks, I decided that I, I, I was missing something, so I made a doctor's appointment. So I went to the doctor. She looked at my ear. She goes, it's clogged. Thank you for that. I know. That's why I'm here. She goes, you want me to clear it? Yeah, I'd love for you to clear it. She went in her little office. She came out, and they got this little water pick. Have you seen this thing? It's like an industrial water pick thing. And she goes, okay. She goes, you may feel a warm sensation. And she stuck that thing in my ear. In 30 seconds, things started pouring out of my ear that, that did not look good at all. You know, I, I love, can you push that thing away? And in 30 seconds, I could hear again. Do you know why? Because she had the right tool. She had the right tool, and she knew what she was doing. You know, TJ in there digging around with a Q-tip, you know, probably doing more damage. She had the right tool. She knew exactly what to do. God always has the right tool. Here's, you ready? Let's try something different. Ready for this? How many of you struggle with situations right now? Maybe a relational situation. Maybe you're having an issue with somebody in the family. You struggle with something like that? Let's try something new. Why don't you maybe allow God and the Holy Spirit to do something in that relationship to fix it? How many of you have been trying to do stuff for year after year after year? How is that working out for you? Maybe you have the wrong tool. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. Allow him to fix those things. Restoration is birthed in the Spirit. Paul's telling us here this. Unless you're a person that is led and guided by the Spirit, you won't be able to walk somebody toward restoration because you cannot heal a human heart. Restoration for us starts by asking the Father for his heart in the situation. That means this. As a church, you have to have a spiritual foundation. Now, here at Trinity, I don't know if you know this or not, we have 10 elders here at Trinity. Not board members, they're elders. These are people filled with the Holy Spirit. And the elders, they have one main job. That's to be able to hear God's voice so that we stay in alignment with him as a church spiritually. That's what they do. We meet twice a month to pray, to eat, and to talk about things, and they deal with spiritual situations. It's just what the elders do. And we start our meetings all the time. When we have stuff that comes up, we pray, Lord, what is your heart in this matter? And you know what we do? We do this crazy thing. You ready for this? We listen. When's the last time you added listening to your prayer time? We listen. And you want to hear something nuts? God always is revealing to us his heart. Never do we leave and go, ah, well, we got nothing. You know, see you next week. God always reveals his heart to us. So as a church, we do that. Beloved, learn to listen to the Spirit. Have people in your life that can help you with the Spirit because, beloved, the Spirit deals with those spiritual issues. John 6, 63 says this. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. But there's still so, so some of you that don't believe. Some of you struggle with people in your life that don't know Jesus yet because you're approaching them in, in human ways. Talk to the Holy Spirit. See how he would have you talk to them. I was, um, again, I'm always, I'm always trying to be aware of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through me, always. So I was at the well the other day, 
and, and, and we were there just hanging out. And there was somebody that was there who was an older gentleman. And he just, he just kept, he, he just caught my eye. So I went to the table and I was like, praying. I was like, Lord, am I supposed to talk to this guy? Am I supposed to just connect with this guy? What do you want me to do? And I felt the Lord say, yes, I want you to talk to this guy. I said, okay, what do you want me to talk about? And he told me, he said, well, he just, he just lost somebody close to him. I want you to tell him that he's valued and that he's loved. Okay. I just went up to the guy. He was eating his little breakfast. I said, you don't know me from Adam, sir. I said, but you know what? I just feel like God wants me to tell you today that you're valued and that you're loved. That was it. He looked at me and he started to cry. And I said, man, I said, you know, if you're here more often, come on by. I said, maybe we can sit down and talk to whatever. And he said, son, that's good enough for me right now. I said, okay. I don't know what God was doing in his heart, but I know this. God whispered something to me for him. That's not a human thing. It's a God thing. The more you are open to the spiritual things, God will use you to do spiritual things. In that case, for that guy, maybe it was just a sense of comfort to restore his heart. I don't know. Be open to the Spirit. If you want to see restoration in people's lives, if you want to carry that, if you want to carry God's heart, you need to be a person of the Spirit. Let's keep going. We're almost done. It says, keep, keep watch over your own heart so that you won't be tempted to exalt yourself over Him. This is something we have to be careful for, beloved, especially in the church, especially for those that have been in the church for a long time. The flesh. It's human nature for us to place ourselves over the weak. Now, Paul gives us a warning here about one of the greatest stumbling blocks that mature believers, that the church encounters, one of the greatest things that we have to overcome, pride. Now, I know nobody here deals with pride, but in most other churches, it's, a, it's an issue, right? Pride in the life of a believer and in the life of the church is utterly devastating. It is. Pride left unchecked can make us unpliable, meaning that God can't shape us and he can't use us. Pride turns our relationship with God into this cold, hard religion. Now, the enemy loves to use pride in the church to keep us from understanding the heart of God. Pride keeps us connected to the past. It keeps us from what God wants to do in us and through us now. Pride says stuff like this. We don't need anything else. We know. We know. We got this. We got this. We, if you keep saying we got this, we got this, it's a good indication you don't have it. How many of you know that, man, you need God's in your life just to, just to breathe in the morning? Amen. Right? Pride pushes God away from us, and it pushes us away from people. It does. Humility is the thing that brings us close to God and close to each other. Humility fosters those relationships. Pride kills all those things. This is what the Bible says about pride. Proverbs 11.2 says this, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. James 4.6 says this, and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves in the Lord's presence, and he'll honor you. Did you ever think about this? It was pride that entered Lucifer's heart that caused a war in heaven where a third of the angels fell. The sin of pride. That's how devastating pride is. It is. Pride can wreck whatever God wants to do in your life, through your life, and pride can destroy the heart of a church in a blink. It can. It can make us cold and ineffective. Pride exalts ourselves over others and makes us better than somebody else. And I got to tell you this, beloved. Every church deals with pride. If you're in a church and you value the word over anything else, the more you know the word, the prouder you get. And what do we do? We create spiritual levels. Well, I know this much about the word. They don't know this much. You got the intergalactic level, the regular level, and then the people, they just don't know. They know nothing. We do that with pride. We do that with, we do that with the word. We do that with theology. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, supernatural churches, they don't do that, do they? We do that all the time. Well, they're just not as spiritual as I am. They don't see the things that I see. And what do we do? Create levels. Because you all know God was all about levels, right? When it came down to it, all the disciples, they were all, you know, squeaky clean, right? The only ones that really stood the test of time were those ladies that were with him. All the guys ran away. Where were the ladies? 
They were there to the end. You know, you hang on to those ladies, right? Let them see clearly. We have to be careful with pride. Be careful, beloved. If we want to be a house of restoration, we have to be ruthless with pride. How are you doing in the pride category? How do you see others? Do you see others as image bearers just like you? Or do you see people better or lesser than you? Don't do that. We're all created in God's image. Let's finish this up. Look at the passage again. Verse 2 says this, Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. We fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is simple. It's Mark 12, 30 and 31. When they asked Jesus, you know, what are the greatest commandments? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandments greater than these. You cannot carry each other's troubles. We can't reach down and we cannot be a house of restoration apart from love. With love comes intimacy. And intimacy is a two-way street. It's not enough for you to know the sins and the brokenness of somebody else and to to stay safe and, and protected and masked behind that thing. If you want to be intimate with somebody and you want to be real, then you need to be known as well. All of us carry things. You can't have somebody help you to carry your troubles if you pretend like you don't have any. And you can't help people to carry theirs if you pretend like you don't have any. What do we do sometimes? Sometimes we like to whitewash our stories. Like from the womb, we came out standing on the promises of God, my King. Right? We try to minimize what our path was. And when you do that, you know what you do? You do the gospel of disservice. We pretend like everybody's got their act together. Everybody's got their ducks in a row. Some of you don't even know where your ducks are at. Be real with each other. Share with each other, right? We were created to live in community with each other, not in isolation. Allow people to walk with you. Get to know people and be open to being known. Walk with those that struggle. Here's the question. Is there anybody that really knows who you are? If you don't have anybody in your life that really knows who you are, find somebody. Take a chance. Be known. Let's finish it up. Look at the verse again. You can go to the next slide. There you go. It says, if you think you're somebody too important to stoop down to help another, well, really you're not. You're living in deception. Here's the last place we'll stop today. The fear. Deception. The worst thing about deception is this. You don't know that you're being deceived. It happens. Have you ever been deceived? My daughter, um, she bought a car about, oh, six months ago. We bought it off the dealership and stuff, and we looked at it, and, you know, she said, can you come and look at this car? I said, absolutely. So we were there, they got the hood up, and I'm looking at the engine. Now, I know nothing about automotive anything, but I'm a man, so I'm expected to at least give it a shot, right? So it's open, the engine's running. I go, yep, that engine's running. Kick a tire. The tires, they look rubbery. What am I going to do? That's right. That's all you got. So we're getting ready to leave, and I know enough about stuff. I said, listen, I said, uh, um, I said, I want to make sure. I said, is the title clean? Is it clear? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, is this a salvage title? No, no, not a salvage title. It's clear. Okay. I took the guy at his word because at the little dealership, he had worship music playing in the background. So Tori, she, her transmission died this week. So, you know, her car's done. And as we get the stuff back, one of my buddies is looking at the stuff. He goes, yeah. He goes, I looked at the title, and it's a salvage title. I didn't look close enough because I trusted that guy. You know what I wanted to do this week? Pay my brother a visit. Hello, brother. Say, hello, you lied to me. I was deceived. And I, you know, when you feel deceived, what are all the emotions that are linked to that? Anger, I'm dumb, I can't believe I missed that, blah, blah, blah. I can't, I should have known better and all these things. Here's the point. We don't know we're being deceived while we're being deceived. But it can happen to any of us. It's happened to all of us. Chances are pretty good, guys, here today. Every one of you at some point has been hurt by the church. 
Now, sometimes we manufacture our own offense. And you, you know, Pastor, that gray carpet hurt my heart. If the color of the carpet hurts your heart, I don't know what to tell you. You got to go somewhere else. I don't know what to tell you. There's other times your heart's been hurt and it was hurt because your leaders or whoever did what and they did it incorrectly. I can almost promise you this. Almost every leader or person that hurt you in the church probably thought they were doing the right thing and they were deceived. The terrible thing about deception is this. We don't know when we're being deceived. The only way to get through deception, the only thing that could cut through the mist is truth, God's truth. So what is God's heart for us when it comes to his truth? What is God's heart for us when it comes to restoration? We know this. We know that he said in his word, he whom the son has set free is free indeed. We know his heart for restoration for all of us is freedom. He wants us to live free. He wants us to be the people that he created us to be. And we know this about his heart also for those that are far away. He is the father of the prodigal. Even when we're far away, he seeks us. He finds us. He brings us in. I can promise you this, beloved. You know, sometimes in our minds, we think we know what a move of God looks like. How great would it be tomorrow, next week, if a thousand people showed up here? Oh, we saw, this is great, Pastor. We're having revival. There's not enough seats. This is great. Because all these people, in your mind, what do those people look like? You know what they look like? You. They're dressed the way you think they should be dressed. They smell the way you think they should smell. They're the same color of skin that you are. They're squeaky clean. Because how many of you know that's always what a move of God looks like? That's never what a move of God looks like. What would you do next week if a thousand people showed up and nobody had shoes on? The hair is all crazy. What would you do if they all came in in suits and ties? Some of you would freak out. You're at the wrong church. Me and my Hawaiian shirt, right? You're going to have to leave now, right? How would you receive them? That's not really the important question. The important question is this. What is God's heart for them? Restoration. So I want to leave you two things. These are the two things that God's beating on my heart all week. First is this. You cannot extend anything to somebody that you don't have. Some of you are here today and you've been chasing around that mountain of self-worth way too long. You've lived your life, your Christian life, feeling like you were lesser. Today, God wants to set you free. He wants you to experience freedom. Not so that you can just be free and do whatever you want to do. He gives you freedom so you know what to extend to somebody else. He wants to set you free. So today is a day if you've carried things, don't carry it anymore. Your failure is gone. It's in the past. His steadfast love, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. His mercies are new today for you. Second is this. Is there somebody maybe in your life? Maybe you mishandled restoration. Maybe you threw somebody away instead of bringing them close. Again, what do we do when people are on the lake, the frozen lake, and they need to get off the ice? We show them the way home. Is there somebody you need to reach out to? Is there a sheep among us that's been gone that you need to reach out to? Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you've just committed them because you don't have time to go get them. Beloved, we have the family business you know, in our hip pocket. Jesus, you know, he sought and he saved the lost. We seek and we save the lost as well. So bow your heads. Why don't you take a minute talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Say, Holy Spirit, Allow him to speak to you about restoration personally. Allow him to speak to your heart. Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, 
head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.